help lead a church in Bedlington, in Northumberland, called Hope Church Bedlington, and uh, really good friends with, with Andy and Claire, and it's just excellent to be here with you. Thank you so much to the guys leading worship. Linda, it was really inspiring what you were saying. We also have a cap debt center at our church. We've been running for a similar amount of time, and I really do believe it's, it's something that is so on God's heart for us to be churches that serve the poor. Um, I think that's just such a, a God thing to do, to serve those who are weakest and most vulnerable and most broken in our communities, and to partner with this amazing national charity who also have the gospel and sharing the good news right at the heart of what they're doing. It's just, it's just brilliant. It's such an exciting ministry. And um, yeah, like Linda was, I want to commend the whole church because people are giving, people are serving, people are helping in different ways. It's just it's just amazing. And I ha- watching that video, I had a tear in my eye, but I've managed to pull myself together before I've come up. Um, yesterday, my wife, Sarah, my, my wife and kids can't be, can't be with me today, um, and they, but, but they send their love. But yesterday, my wife was um, on a course once a month on Saturdays. She's been going with a friend to do a course in Leeds, a, a theology course. And it means that once a month on Saturdays, I look after our two kids by myself. I think there's a picture of us as Noah and Seth and my wife Sarah and me there. Uh, Noah's four and Seth is two. Once a month, I look after them. And I don't know if this is a a bloke thing. This might be a massive stereotype, but we don't tidy as we go. We do a blitz at the end, okay? So over the course of the day, we had friends around, other little kids were around. The house was like a, a tip But I was thinking all the time, well, half an hour before Sarah gets back, I'll do the big epic tidy up. That's what what I do, you know. Um, But I made a very bad choice, which is um, my son Noah's got this kind of, it's like a little plastic egg with with this kind of green goo inside it. And then like a a little um, dinosaur skeleton. I don't really know what the idea is. It's meant to be the dinosaur egg and the kind of ectoplasm or whatever you call it that the the dinosaur lives in and um I was letting him play with it and I was it was a bad choice because there is now a stain on the carpet which I didn't manage to get out in the half an hour blitz so I was in I was in big trouble it was it was a bad choice um and today I want to talk about choices uh, because the choices we make in life really matter our choices matter And we're all making choices all the time. I bet you've made a number of choices already today. You know, you decided what you were going to wear. You decided what you were going to have for breakfast. Maybe for some of you, the choice was, shall I go to church today? That was the choice you were making. Maybe you're in the process in your life of making some bigger choices. You know, a house to buy, somewhere you're going to go on holiday, where you're going to live, where your kids are going to go to school. You know, we're all making choices, small choices, big choices, all the time. And our choices really, really matter and make a difference. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I 100% believe that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that nothing happens in our lives or in human history that's outside of God's control. You know, when you're preaching in the spot that Mr. Gibson normally preaches in, you've got to make sure you get your theological credentials in place, okay? So don't hear that I'm saying our choices can somehow change God's plans and purposes. They, they can't. 
But if you read the scriptures and you read the Bible, you come to see that God is 100% sovereign. But our choices matter. And the two are both true. And we can't make that fit in our minds. But you know what? I've come to the conclusion that if God's God, there are going to be things about him that I can't fully understand. And the second I do fully understand him, he's probably no longer God. He's my version of God. He's my boxed-in God. But both things are true. God is 100% totally in control, sovereign. But our choices really do matter. In fact, you could say, I'm going to come on to the passage of Scripture in just a moment, but I want to kind of set this up properly. You could say that, in large part, who you are today is to a large extent the sum of the choices you've already made in life. Now, there are, there are things that happen that are outside of our control. There are things that we can't control. But to a large degree, who you are now and where you're at in life is the result of the choices you've made. And as we look to the future, it's true as well. The choices we make today are going to determine, to a, to a significant extent, our future. How, who we are in the future, the direction our life goes in the future. And of course, the most important choices we're going to make are the ones that are going to determine our spiritual lives. And I've called this message, Staying the Course. Because I want to talk about the kind of choices we can make today, or we can not make today, that are going to determine whether or not we stay the course spiritually. Whether or not we, we make it, whether or not when challenges come at us in life, when obstacles come at us in life, when things are difficult in life, we keep going, we keep loving God, we keep persevering, we don't get embittered, we don't turn away from church, we don't turn away from God. The choices we make now are going to have huge impact on that. So you're looking at the letter of Thess- Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he wants the believers in that church to stay the course. They're facing opposition. They're facing hardship. This is a church that, as I'm sure you've already heard as you've gone through this series, this is a church that has been birthed in an incredibly difficult uh, situation. Paul and Silas and this team of guys who were going around planting churches, they, only, they were only there about three weeks. They preached the gospel. Some people got saved. They drew together this new, this new church, this new God community, gathered around the message of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And pretty much as soon as this thing had started, opposition and persecution came. The Jewish religious leaders incited a riot against this new move of God. Paul and Silas and the other guys had to get out of there in a hurry. So this is a church that has faced and is facing, as Paul is writing, a great amount of challenge and difficulty. You know, if you think about it, they're facing persecution, they're facing opposition. Add to that, there can't have been a lot of spiritual maturity in this church. This is a group of people who've been saved a matter of weeks, months. These are all new Christians and they're facing this incredibly difficult situation and context. And Paul is really, really concerned for them. I hope you've seen that in his heart as he writes to them, as he's gone through 1 Thessalonians. He's deeply concerned for them. And he's been worried that they are not going to stay the course. That this persecution and this opposition and this hardship that they're facing, that they're not going to make it. And in the passage, I think Joel was preaching on last Sunday, you read in... um, 3 verse 5, Paul says this, 
For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, when my concern for you, when my worry you were not going to stay the course was so strong, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. He's worried that they're not going to be staying the course, that they're not still going to be going. He wants to see them go the course. Because here's the reality. Being a follower of Jesus is tough. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. Don't buy in to the so-called gospel that says it's all going to be great when you become a Christian. That, you know, if you just have enough faith, if you just pray hard enough, it'll all work out fine. It's not like that. People we love do get cancer. People we love do die young. We will experience financial challenges. Our careers will not always go the way we'd hoped. People we trust will let us down. Our children will sometimes make decisions that we wish they weren't making. And this isn't me trying to be really depressing. I bet you know you're pleased you came to church this morning. This is, and this isn't some kind of prophetic statement to you as a people. This is just life. This is just the reality of life. Jesus has won the ultimate victory over death and sin and suffering and pain and all of that at the cross. One day he's going to return and none of that stuff is going to be anymore. But we live in, in this sort of in-between. And it's just the way it is that there is opposition and there is hardship. And yes, we pray. Yes, we believe in a God who can bring breakthrough and do miraculous things. But we also accept the fact Sometimes it's going to be the way it is. And the question is, are we going to stay the course? Are we going to stay the course? And are we going to make the choices now, today, that are going to mean we stay the course? Because our choices matter. And whether we're going to stay the course, whether we're going to make it in the future, is going to depend a lot on making good choices now. Anyway, that's enough Spiel from me. Let's look at this passage together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting at verse 6 through to verse 10. And I'll just read it and comment a little bit as I go. So starting in verse 6, chapter 3. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. So it's good news. Paul's been worried about them. They've been facing opposition. Are they going to be staying the course? He'd sent Timothy, one of the younger guys, on his his kind of team. And yeah, it's good news that they are staying the course. They are doing well. Goes on in verse 7. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged you because of your faith. So you see, it's not only the church in Thessalonica that's been facing persecution and hardship. Paul has been facing incredible persecution and hardship as well. In fact, if anything, Paul's endured even greater opposition and hardship in his life than the church in Thessalonica has. He's been imprisoned, he's been beaten, he's been whipped, he's been shipwrecked, all these crazy things. He's he's faced it all. But he says that hearing about the Thessalonians persevering and staying the course has been a great encouragement to him. In fact, he says in verse 8, as we go on, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. You know, I'm going to talk 
shortly about the power of encouragement, but the encouragement of hearing that these guys in, in, in Thessalonica, this church that he loves and that he wish he could stay longer with, hearing that they are doing well, is not just like a nice little encouragement for Paul. It, it means he's, he's truly alive in the midst of great opposition and hardship. This is life to Paul to hear this. Verse 9, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. He finishes by saying he hopes he'll be able to come and see them soon. And when he talks about supplying what is lacking in their faith, this isn't kind of an insult to them. It's not Paul saying, you know, you haven't got it right. It's kind of his way of saying, I just want to come alongside you as, as your friend, as your mentor, and encourage you in your faith. I mean, we're all, we could say we're all lacking in our faith, aren't we? We can all learn from one another, grow from one another. So we see this group of people that in the face of real hardship and opposition are staying the course. We see that at the church, and we see that in Paul as well. He's facing opposition and hardship, but he's staying the course as well. And I love the way we can think, you know, of, of perseverance and of staying the course as a Christian, as just kind of hanging on in there, just, just making it through. But that's not the impression you get from them, is it? This, these words talk about them being full of love and full of faith. There's a sense of joy. There's a sense of vision. There's a sense of positivity. God doesn't want us to stay the course as in just, just kind of make it in life. He wants us to be a people who are full of faith and joy and love and vision and who are encouraged and inspired. So I want to give you, and this is going to be quick because I know I've said a bit already, these are going to be quick points. I want to give you five choices from these words, from these verses, that I want to challenge you and encourage you to make today that are going to make the difference, perhaps, as to whether you stay the course in terms of following Jesus. And at the end of the message, what I'm going to finish it. I'm going to tell you now how I'm going to close things. Is I'm going to encourage you to, to pick one of these five. Okay. If we try and do five things, if we try and make five big decisions, chances are we, we won't do it. I know I can only kind of take on board one thing at a time. I'm going to encourage you to, 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 to make one of them. And with God's help, to, to apply this to your life. And I think it's going to make a difference as to whether we stay the course, no matter what life throws at us. So the first choice, some of us are going to choose friendship. I love the sense of friendship that exists between Paul and this church, not just in the passage I read today, but throughout the whole letter. There's this amazing sense of real love and affection and friendship. And Paul talks in the passage about them having pleasant memories of one another. It always makes me laugh. I guess they forgot about the riot and the persecution. Oh, we have such lo lovely memories of our time with you. You know, when the Jewish authorities chased us out of the city and were persecuting us. But, but, but that's the power of godly friendships. If you have good people in your life who you love, who you're kind of doing life with, who encourage you, who challenge you, who inspire you. 
it can make an incredible difference. It can be the difference as, as to when bad times come, whether you stay the course or not. You know, when I look back on my life, it's the good, godly friendships I've had with other people that have had the greatest impact on me. More than amazing preaches that I've heard, more than times of worship, more than those kind of spiritual mountaintop moments where you feel you're really meeting with God. It's, it's friendship. It's people who've invested in me, who've been there for me, good friends. And the truth is, you will not stay the course if you try and do it on your own. We're not wired to follow Jesus on our own. We're wired to do it in community. With family. Joel talked about family last week. Is it always easy? No. But are the best friendships always easy? Is family always easy? And you know, it's possible to be in church, but not be in church. To come along, to go through the motions. But when it comes to really building deep friendships with people, to kind of stay a bit distant. I think we're very independent. It's a Western culture thing, maybe. We like to be strong. We like to be isolated, maybe just in our family unit. Not to really let other people speak into your life. Not to open up your life. Not to be vulnerable. So I want to challenge you to choose friendship. If you're not part of a home group yet, gain one. If you're part of one but you never go, start turning up. I, I, I gather they're on this week. Yeah. If you know you're just going through the motions, you don't really have any deep, godly friendships with people, go out for a coffee with somebody this week or go to the pub and just chat about God and say, come on, let's, let's be people who encourage one another and inspire one another. You know, if you, if you think, actually, I could do with somebody who's a bit further on in the journey, a bit wiser, a bit godlier, to input into me, to mentor me. I hate to give you more work here, Andy, but speak to Andy about it or Claire about it. And they can, if they can't do it themselves, they'll know people who can. Let's not be too proud to ask for that. And let's not make the excuse of not having enough time for it. We have time for the things we choose to have time for. And choosing Godly friendships, people who can input into our life, is, is very important. The second choice some of us are going to make is we're going to choose encouragement. Just look at verse 7 again with me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. You know, encouraging others is such a powerful thing to do. For Paul, this mighty man of God, who we would almost think doesn't really need external encouragements, he's just so strong in his faith, he just keeps going. But for Paul, getting encouraged makes a difference between him being in a place of distress and persecution to him feeling alive. You know, when you speak an encouraging word to somebody else, the impact you can have is absolutely incredible. There are too many critics in the world, aren't there? We need more encouragers. When you say to someone, you know, I really appreciate the way you're having a godly input into my kids' lives by serving in Sunday school. You say, you're making a kingdom difference in the lives of my children, and I thank you for it. That can be like life to somebody. I, I really appreciate you, you know, doing the, doing the projector, doing the sound at the back. You know, it might seem like a small thing to you, but if you didn't do that, 
this whole thing wouldn't work as well. People wouldn't connect with God in the same way. That can be powerful. And all of us can do it. All of us can encourage somebody. We can't all perhaps preach. We can't all do music. We can't all do the technical stuff. We might not all be good with kids. But every single one of us can encourage somebody else. And my observation would be that we don't do it anywhere near enough. It might, maybe it's a British thing. It's a reserved kind of British thing. We, we somehow feel awkward about encouraging somebody. Like it's not our place or, you know, we get all nervous about it. But it can make such a big difference. And I just want to take a moment to encourage you, Andy. And uh, if you think this is about to get cheesy, you're absolutely right. <laughs> you know, Andy, you know, your example as, as a husband and as a father are really inspiring to me. You're an amazing example to me. You know, the way you're raising your kids and the way you're uh, doing family in a way that I see as being so kind of firm and clear in what you believe, the direction your family is going in, and yet is gentle and loving. It's, it's a real inspiration to me with younger kids. Your commitment to the Word of God, your passion for the Bible, your passion for the church, it's inspiring. And, and basically, your friendship and support make following Jesus and being a church leader a lot more fun for me. So I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you. I told you it would be cheesy, but I mean it. And some of you are going to choose encouragement. You're going to start encouraging other people. You're going to get over yourself in terms of the awkwardness, and you're just going to start doing it. And just very practically, this is what I would say. If you think of something encouraging to say, if a positive thought about somebody pops into your head, just always say it. That's a good way to start. In Hebrews 3, verse 13, it says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. As far as I'm aware, this is today. So we should be encouraging one another. You're going to become an over-the-top encourager. You're going to become an encourager who is embarrassing because you're always encouraging people. But I'd rather err on that side of things than, than, than potentially have somebody miss out on something which could be life to them. And you might be thinking, how is, how is me encouraging somebody else going to help me stay the course? I can see how it's going to help them stay the course. Well, here's the thing. You know, when you encourage somebody else, you kind of get the blessing back as well, if not more. So it's a double win. As you in, encourage somebody else, you yourself will feel encouraged. And more than that, you'll begin to create a community and a culture. And I'm sure you've got this. I'm not saying you haven't got this, but more and more, a culture and a community where you encourage one another, and it'll come back round to you in that sense. It's going to make a huge difference. The third choice, some of you are going to choose praise. You know, if I was facing the kind of opposition and persecution and obstacles that Paul was facing, I don't think praising God and worship would be very high on my list of priorities. I don't think I'd be in a, in a frame of mind to be passionately worshipping God. But it seems to me that Paul is choosing praise. In verse 9 he says, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? This is the guy who's, who's persecuted, who's imprisoned, who's beaten. He's talking about joy in the presence of God. He's talking about thanking God. I know that for me I'm a bit like a roller coaster sometimes. 
a couple of tiny good things happen and I'm like, yeah, it's amazing, God's brilliant. And then a couple of tiny negative things happen and I come crashing back down. But Paul is, is choosing praise. You know, when, it, when you gather together on a Sunday or when you're at your home group or even just as you start the day, spending time with God, can I challenge you to choose praise, to make a decision that you will begin by worshipping God, by focusing on him, by glorifying him. You know, praise is a choice. We, we, we sometimes think, you know, worship or praise, it's a, it's a feeling that we kind of wait for. But it's not. It's a decision that we make. The psalmist says, praise the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Praise the Lord. You choose it. You stir yourself into it. You don't wait and see how you're feeling that day. You don't wait and see, you know, other band going to play that song I like this week. You choose praise. And some of you, if you're really honest, perhaps you're not choosing praise at the moment. And we can, we can justify it, can't we? We can say, well, I'm not, I'm, not that kind of, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not that kind of expressive, touchy-feely kind of person. I'm more of a Bible-teaching kind of guy. Or I'm more of a practical person. I'm a doer. Or I don't, you know, I don't really like music. Music's not my thing. It's not about music. It's about choosing to praise the awesome living God who is completely worthy of praise. And you know what? If we don't make the decision to choose praise, we won't stay the course. You know, worship is a powerful weapon in your spiritual arsenal. As you choose to step out in worship and praise, whether it's on a Sunday, whether it's at the start of every day, whether it's at a home group, it's so often in that place that you find strength. You know, I think that's why the Lord's Prayer starts. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It doesn't start with our needs. It doesn't start with our requests. It doesn't start with how we're feeling. It starts with looking upwards to God. It starts with praise. Choose praise. Don't wait and see how you feel. Step into it. Fourth choice. Some of you are going to choose prayer. Paul finishes in verse 10. Night and day we pray. Most earnestly, that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So I'll be honest with you, of the, of the five choices, this is mine. Um, I struggle with prayer. I get distracted from prayer so easily. Other things always seem to crowd it out in my life. But if we're going to stay the course, if we're going to be people who make it, we've got to choose prayer. Prayer is so important. You know, even Jesus withdrew by himself to be alone to pray you know Jesus the son of God if anybody wouldn't you would have thought doesn't need to do it it would be him but he took time out to pray you won't accomplish the purposes of God for your life without prayer whether that's being a godly dad or a godly mom or or a witness at work or a leader in in some ministry in the church you won't accomplish the purposes of God for your life and you won't stay the course without prayer so I just want to share with you something I've started doing. And this isn't to, to show off because I've only been doing it for about a week, if I'm really honest. Um, but this is just because sometimes these things can be all out there and we need to ground it in reality. I've started getting up really early to pray. And the reason I'm doing that is because my youngest son, Seth, he gets up really early. Uh, he gets up 
at about 6 a.m. or even earlier at the minute. And the problem is, if I get up when Seth gets up, my day starts at about a million miles an hour in chaos and mess and getting the kids dressed and getting them ready to go out. And by the chance I get time to pray, my, my, my pattern used to be, you know, I, about 8 o'clock, I'd go up to um, the, the, the little office we have as a, as a church and I'd kind of pray there. But I've kind of had two and a half hours of madness. And because I'm so easily distracted, perhaps somebody who is more spiritual than me can do it. They could suddenly sort of close everything down and calm down and go into this place of prayer. But I can't do it. So I've started getting up even earlier than Seth gets up so I can start the day in prayer. And it's, I don't like, I find it really hard to do it because... I like chilling out in front of the TV at night, but I'm sort of saying, actually, if I'm going to get up that bit earlier to pray, to start the day in that way, I'm going to have to go to bed earlier, or I'm going to be too tired all the time. So it's taking self-discipline on my part. And as I say, I don't say that to, to, to show off, but I say that to say, this is mine, and I know I'm not going to stay the course unless I do this. So in my life, this is choosing prayer. Your way of choosing prayer, if this is your one, is going to be different. That might not be realistic for you. That might not be the way you're wired. But you're going to do something to choose prayer. It might be short of a real emergency. I am going to be at all the church prayer meetings. It might be, you know, I think there's one next Sunday and there's a cat one tonight. I'm going to be there. It might be I'm going to start keeping a kind of prayer journal, writing down prayers, writing down things that God's saying to me or that God's doing because I get, I get less distracted that way if I write it down. It might be to say, I'm going to commit to this new uh, prayer diary you've got as a church. I think that's a great idea. Let's not let it just be something that's there. Let's, let's engage with it. That might be your way of choosing prayer. I find prayer really tough. But you know why it's tough? It's because the battles are really won in prayer. That's where the fight is happening in terms of advancing the kingdom of God and seeing God do things. So no wonder it's tough. No wonder the enemy is going to try and do what he can to play on our kind of fleshly weaknesses and distract us from prayer because he knows that's where the breakthrough is going to happen and that's the way that, peop- that, that followers of Jesus are going to stay the course. Some of you are going to choose prayer and then finally the last one. Perhaps some of you are going to choose Jesus. You know, it might be you're here today and, and you're not a Christian or you're just kind of checking church out or you're not, You're not sure if I've ever made that decision really for myself. Maybe I call myself a Christian, but have I ever said, this is me. I believe in Jesus. I believe in what he did at the cross. I accept what he did for me. I want to live his way from now on. And if that's you, your choice is to choose Jesus. You know, life's tough. Whether you're a Christian or not, life is tough. But the good news is that God created you for an amazing purpose and an amazing future. He created you to know him. He created you to have a relationship with him. He created you to have a life where you're free from shame and guilt and all the things we've done wrong and all the baggage we carry through life. He created you to know you have an eternal future with him. In a world where all this stuff I'm talking about, which affects us and takes us course is no longer there no more mourning no more crying no more death no more sickness and that new life is available to you right now 
if you choose Jesus. Because he was the son of God. And he came to earth to live and to die on a cross to pay the way for you to have that future. So if you never, if you never made that decision, all these other decisions, all these other choices don't really matter until you've made that decision. I'm going to choose Jesus. And if that's you, in just a moment, we're going to pray and I'll encourage you to pray with me. But just to conclude, God wants us to stay the course. He wants us to make it. He wants us to keep going. He doesn't want us to be people who get taken out. You know, I'm sick of seeing Christians' friends who are, who are known and who I love turn away because life is tough. And it's not that I'm unsympathetic. You know, I've relatively led a very comfortable life and haven't faced the things some people have faced. But I truly believe we can resolve in our mind to make the right choices now that are going to make a difference when those things happen. Some of you are going to choose friendship. Some of you are going to choose encouragement. Some are going to choose praise. Some are going to choose prayer. And maybe even some are going to make the greatest choice of all. They're going to choose Jesus for the first time. And I just want to challenge you. I'm going to pray in just a moment. Please, let's do something about this. Don't just say, yeah, I've chosen friendship. And it just kind of stays in this kind of phrase. Do something about it this week. Do something about choosing prayer this week. Encourage somebody. As soon as the meeting finishes, we'll have an encouragement fest going on in this room. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And I think the band are going to come back up as well. Yeah, Lord God, I just um, thank you for every decision, every choice made uh, in this room this morning. God, I pray that we would not leave this place the same. I pray that we would recognize that following you can be difficult sometime, sometimes, that, that we all face challenges and hardships in life, that becoming a Christian isn't some kind of get-out-of-jail-free card, that we're not always just going to float through things unscathed by the power of our faith, that sometimes it's just tough. But God, choices we make now can make all the difference as to whether we stay the course, like we see these guys in, in Thessalonica doing, like we see in Paul's life. And God, so we commit to you every choice that's been made in this room. And I pray that you would plant seeds in people, Lord, that you would speak to them by your Holy Spirit, and that you would give them the, the courage and the determination to do something about it this week, Lord, whatever they've chosen, to do something about it. And now just as we stay in this place of prayer, I'm just going to pray a, a very simple prayer. And this is for anybody who, who wants to choose Jesus for the first time. But what I'm going to suggest is I'll, I'll, we'll, I'll say a line at a time and if we could repeat it as I say it, and we'll all do it. So if anyone is doing this for the first time, you don't feel like you're on your own. We're all going to do it as a recommitment to Jesus, perhaps for many of us. But if you we could just pray this prayer with, with me, repeat after me. God, I need you. God, I confess my sin and my brokenness. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross and be raised back to life so that I could have new life, so that I could be forgiven, so that I could have eternal life, so that I could know you, God. I accept what Jesus did for me. 
thank you for new life. Now I give my life to you. Amen.